what's going on? I am Travis with Proselytize or Apostatize, and uh, we have a really cool show uh, today. As a matter of fact, for February, we're doing guest host month where like former debaters and uh, guests we've had on the show actually take over the moderator's job. And so interestingly, today we have both a moderator and a debater, and he is the faithiest atheist. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and give, give it over to you, Mr. Faithiest Atheist. Hey, thank you. Thank you, Travis. Um, I'm Richard. Um, I have a Facebook page called The Faithiest Atheist. Um, and I'm just going to ask everybody else on the uh, on the panel to just introduce who they are, and then I'll, I'll get into the topic. Does that work? Yeah, yeah, sounds good. I guess I'll go ahead and start. And if we, uh, I guess we're going to go with like me, Joshua, then James. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm Travis. Uh, I'm actually one of the co-hosts uh, uh, of this podcast, but uh, I'm working on on the downhill side of finishing my Master's of Science in Atmospheric Science, so really looking forward to that. Um, I'm also uh, a member of the Reasons to Believe Apologetics community, so part of uh, RTB, which is a science faith uh, ministry uh, that I'm really happy to be a part of, and um yeah, just like looking forward to this uh, really interesting conversation. Uh, Joshua? Yeah, uh, thank you. Uh, my name is Joshua Sherman, and I host a podcast called Tending Our Nets. Uh, it's just uh, really short uh, episodes every week, uh, just trying to help people that have grown up with a really maybe narrow view of, of the gospel uh, to understand uh, really more in historical context what, what the gospel meant, uh, what we see throughout the narrative of scripture, uh, what it means to um, to have faith in Christ, what salvation looks like, all of those kinds of things. To um, Because I, I feel like a lot of times the, the conversations people end up having are so narrow that it's like, how do you engage with people uh, when you're trying to uh, encourage them to to come to faith or to stay in faith in Christ. Uh, and so want to be able to do that effectively. And I feel like having a more well-rounded understanding really helps with that. And James? Yeah, hey, um, happy to be back on the show. This is my fourth fourth time on the show. Um, I was just yeah reflecting earlier just how awesome this community is. So really happy to be here today. Um, also thought the introduction was, was extremely... Uh, captivating there so <laughs> enjoying that music but a um, little bit about me i'm an ex-christian ex-pastor um i've studied theology currently doing a master in other areas um interesting we're having a hypothetical conversation today um looking forward to um, partnering with the faithiest atheist here today as uh, as my as my partner against these two fine gentlemen and just yeah just really happy to be here guys and it's also 3 a.m in australia today so um, but but I've you know I'm showered I've got up I've done my routine so I'm, I'm here I'm here and I'm present and I've had a beer so let's get this let's get this going so yeah we're ready <laughs> okay yeah let's let's do this and I just want to say I've always noticed uh, the honest atheist uh, I've noticed that name for a while and I, I've always hoped that we could be on a debate together um, and just to warn the audience he's the honest atheist I'm the faithiest atheist so at any point I might lie. Um, and, then, <laughs> and also, he might ask for evidence, uh, but but I won't because I'm I'm a faithiest atheist. So, so between us, we'll, right. we might be okay. Um, mm. So this this whole show started from a hypothetical conversation, mm. um, and I was talking about how um, there's certain neurology and and, and uh, biology uh, that shows that simple cells or or simple living organisms move around without, uh, you know, without any 
nervous system. So, so they don't even have a brain, uh, much less a nervous system. And yet they're, uh, they're doing things like avoiding danger, uh, moving towards light in many cases. Um, they're regulating temperatures. They're, they're regulating, uh, you know, various parts about their existence. Uh, and then they're replicating, you know, at that, at that point, you know, if you're going to uh, pass DNA on to future generations at, at that level, you're, you're uh, replicating uh, rather than, uh, you know, requiring a mate. So I was thinking, are these uh, simple cells? And, and uh, before we get into it, I'm, I'll name three sources that uh, anybody in the audience wants to uh, uh, look up, you know, just to kind of see, if, see for some examples about what we're talking about. Um, but real quick, uh, the book that that kind of started all this for me, uh, thinking down this road is I don't know if this shows up backwards or not. It's called the the deep uh, history of ourselves, and the uh, yeah. author's name is Joseph Ledoux. Um, the next one is uh, Seven and a Half Lessons About the Brain, Lisa Feldman Barrett, uh, and she has another book called How, How Emotions Are Made. So, like, if you really, really want to get into the uh, very specific examples of how um, uh, simple cells are all the different activities like the Joseph Ledoux guy. He, he, he lists like all the different activities that uh, these simple cells do uh, and these simple living organisms do without a brain or a nervous system. Um, and then Lisa Feldman uh, Barrett uh, gives examples too, especially in terms of the development of the nervous system and then the brain. So, the, you know, the very beginning stages that, you know, from her books go back 550 million years to like the very first things that seem to uh, look like they're heading towards a nervous system in a brain without having that yet. Mm. Um, and then there's also a guy named Seth Grant at the University of Edinburgh, um, and he doesn't have any books. But if you look up Seth Grant, University of Edinburgh, you'll see his uh, research. But he talks about how it comes down to chemicals and protein shapes. Those, those two things. So he says there's, there's these uh, cells and, and then there's these proteins within something like a synapse. So not so at that point, there's not even a synapse yet, but the, there's these protein shapes that cause uh, cells to move in certain different directions. So, you know, in, in their research, they're already down to like the specific protein shape and, um, and things that are like synapses. Uh, when they get down to why these things move in these certain directions. And and so my question was, I, I try to be empathetic. I, I try to look at things from a theist approach or, or an atheist approach. And I, and I was like, does this cause any problems or does this help either case? Because if you're, if you're uh, atheist, you could say, okay, checkmate. So now we know it's protein shapes and chemicals next, you know, what's, what's the next topic. And if you're a theist, you could say, well, isn't it amazing that, 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 you know, these things happen even at that level. So you don't even have to ask uh, if you need a brain or a nervous system uh, because you still have this amazing stuff going on uh, even without a brain or a nervous system. So, so I thought no matter what you believe or don't believe, this might be interesting, could be challenging. It could support what you already think. And, and if it supports what we already think, then, then we can just talk about that. But uh, I thought it would be a good uh, topic for us all to discuss. Um, I, I didn't plan on going first. Uh, I thought me giving the introduction would be our, our going first. Our side going first would just be me giving the introduction. So I, I don't know if Travis or Joshua want to go next. Yeah. So, um, I was kind of thinking about this. Um, is this more of like a hypothetical scenario or is this like, uh, 
more like research in, into like a new understanding or what's the context we're, we're going to be kind of going with here? For me, I was thinking the show is just whether if you're if you're a theist to say, you know, this troubles me or this is exactly what I expected. And then for if you're uh, an atheist, same thing, it, wh whether you have uh, papers to cite or whether you've just been thinking about it philosophically or or whatever. Just it's just do you think this is a problem or, or do you think it should be a problem for the other side? Like if you think it's a checkmate for the other <clears> side, <throat> bring that up. Well, so. I haven't really thought about this whatsoever, nor nor prep for it. Um, so I'm just going to kind of go off the top of my head. Some initial thoughts I have are is um, going to be going to kind of be going from the philosophy of science here. Um, we look at number one, the fine tuning. I would bring the fine tuning up because you know you have all these cosmic conditions, you know, that produce the uh, heavy elements. And the nuclear furnace of stars, you know, we need certain precisions and the constants for this. But specifically, I would get into also the local fine tuning because it's going to definitely trickle down there because, you know, we have things like the precision in plate tectonics, uh, volcanism, uh, the atmospheric conditions, the oxygenation events. And you'll notice in, you know, things like temperature is going to be what regulates and controls chemical reactions is, you know, think of like water freezing and everything. And so we're, we're going to need a precise uh, set of conditions for this chemical process to get going. Uh, in fact, I'm even of the persuasion that the anthropic principle extends into biochemical systems. And so I'm also thinking, you know, we have this phenomena in need of explanation. And so I think this is where we can kind of turn to the philosophy of science and look at, you know, uh, try and give an inference to the best explanation uh, in light of uh, theories, certain or hypo hypothesis, uh, theoretical virtues. And I'm thinking, you know, if with these organisms, we see sort of an intentionality, uh, goal direction and aboutness. And I think uh, the best explanation for that, phenomena is going to be an intelligence and intentionality guiding the process because we sort of have like a lower order good and then a higher order good uh, that these organisms are going to be in contact with. And so I think, you know, an intentionality behind the process. And so we look at virtues like, you know, evidential accuracy. I think, you know, uh, theism, you know, fits the, would fit the empirical evidence well, I think it's uh, internally consistent. I mean, um, I don't see any contradictory aspects of it. Uh, I would look at simplicity. I think it's going to explain this phenomena uh, better than naturalism with less theoretical content. And I think it's also going to offer a unification of other processes. We, we see, you know, various processes we see going on uh we could even get into things like objective morality uh applicability of mathematics you know stuff like that i think it would correlate everything well with an intention uh with an intelligence and intentionality guiding the process so um i think it's fruit fruitful in that aspect and so i think um basically theism would explain the data it would offer the best explanation of the data so we have plausible reason uh, abductively plausible reason to conclude theism would offer the best explanation. Okay. Um, and then I was thinking what we would do, like rather than, um, uh, you know, immediately challenge each other or things like that. I, I was thinking uh, both members of each side would go and, and then we could all 
just do sort of a, a open dialogue and rather than like trying to take exact turns, what, what I might do is this, you know, after, after 20 minutes of me and Joshua talking and, and James hasn't said anything, I might just stop and say, okay, wait, let's, <laughs> rather than everybody taking exactly three minutes is that does that yeah. sound okay that's great yeah so, you're the moderator brother all right uh so joshua uh what do you think at this point oh man uh, this is one of those things where you know i think about all the different like books on my shelf and the things i think about and, and this is not one of the things that's usually on that list right so uh wow. it's, it's always fun to engage with things like this and um to try to kind of approach them honestly. And, um, I think the first thing that I think about when I, when I look at this is just, um, it seems like to me, there are a couple of different kind of moving parts that are going on here when we're asking about what the implications might be. Right. So one of them is, is just, is how, how new is this information compared to what we know about the world in, in other ways and, and how does it fit in with other things we know? So, um, you know, for instance, you know, we can talk about the fact that, you know, you put a plant in a window and part of it's shaded and part of it's sunny, like you will see that plant moving towards the sun. Right. right. Um, so sometimes I think we think about this idea of, of volition and and the mind um, and then what that has to what has to be there for for things to be able to respond to stimuli in ways that that maybe are. A little too anthropocentric because we think that things need to be like us in order to do those things and right. to me the illustration of a plant can do that <laughs> makes me think okay maybe our conceptions are a little too simple when we just start out uh, you know before we start studying the science obviously right. once you guys are getting into the details of the science you're looking at a much more detailed level but I, i'm just kind of thinking those those kind of big you know things out here right so you know okay if plants can do that oh that's kind of interesting um if um, if we're talking about biblical data and and then you start kind of asking those questions about what kind of worldview people had when they were were writing books of the Bible when they were thinking about these things the language they used and it's pretty clear that the viewpoint we have on, on exactly how anatomy works and how you know, interacts with the world is different than what they did um, so on some level you know you can you can have that meta question of like what well, does that mean that Bible's inaccurate or does that mean that they're just thinking about these things in different terms and and trying to you know deal with things with the world around them in the way that they saw things and express things that, that um, their understanding about that and express things about God uh, and, and one of the examples that I think is kind of interesting with that is you look at something like Matthew 936 um, Jesus sees the multitudes and he was moved with compassion for them right the word that's used there is basically like the equivalent of he spleened them right? This is not how we think about this at all. We don't think about compassion and the spleen having any relationship to each other. Um, so I already think there's kind of this, this sense of the way that we understand the mechanics of the world and the way that, you know, someone coming from kind of a biblical perspective looks at things. In a lot of ways, they're just different. And, and one of the things that says to me is, if I'm an honest Christian and I'm looking at the Bible and I see things like that, it seems to me that the mechanics of exactly how that seems to be explained in the Bible, maybe that's not meant to be scientific. <laughs> right. um, and, and maybe I, I don't need to, to try to read that level of detail into it. And when I look at things like the plant and I look at things like that, for me, that, that just I, I look at it and I say, OK, another one like our mind, our gut they're connected somehow. We're starting to yeah. understand this, right? Your gut health can, it can impact the way you're thinking and, and vice versa. 
Right. These are things we were only beginning to understand. Uh, and so to me, I don't think there's as much of this like one-to-one relationship with certain levels of responding to uh, to stimuli and things like that between what we think of as a brain and a nervous system and 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 what's what's there right you know so right. it seems like there's a more f- there's more to it than just this uh when we're talking about that level absolutely once I we move that. beyond that then then we start getting into the questions of like okay at a higher level when we're starting to talk about you know deeper levels of cognition being able to you know have have language um inference and and logic those are the points when when i, I think we start to get a little bit more towards like this seems to happen up here but does it happen up here mechanistically or not? We can have that that conversation. So those are the big things that I'm tending to kind of just frame as I'm trying to, to even just evaluate how this kind of fits into to how we see the world and and whether it might fit with a theistic or atheistic perspective. Okay. Um, James, you, you want to kick in? Yeah, sure. Um, this is an interesting topic. I would uh, preface everything as I say, by saying this is not would not be my topic of choice, <laughs> um, but because I like the community here, that's why I'm, I'm present today. Um, but I'd like to go through just just a couple of things I think I'm uncomfortable with in uh, perhaps the theist approach to this, sure. rather than uh, my own approach. Um, so I'd firstly say I'm. I'd, I don't particularly now. I know this is meant to be a fun conversation, but I, I don't mm-hmm. particularly um, appreciate hypothetical conversations. Um, I'm more interested in talking about uh, various evidences that are presented on on both sides of the atheist and Christian debate, and 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 diving into those elements. Mm-hmm. So that's number one. Um, number two is I think we need to be very careful about the implementation of um, appointing intentionality um, towards any conversation uh, mm-hmm. relative to this. So I'd, I'd, in some ways, I wish I'd, I'd read those books that you're presenting now, um, Richard. Yeah. They look really interesting. Um, and I, th- I al- would also say, and this is my final point, that uh, human beings are very good at projecting consciousness onto um, other animals or insects. And I think a good example of that would be um, something like uh, we, we, we would we would tie in purpose with with consciousness. So we we would say we would look at uh, you would say I don't know a hive of bees and say oh wow I mean they're they're I mean you'd look at it and and I, I don't know if anyone's a beekeeper I'm certainly not but I've you know <laughs> seen enough to know. That when I mean you might watch a documentary on on bees, and it's all about the queen, right? So like if yeah. you watch a documentary on, on 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 bees, everyone's just waiting to see the queen bee and what the heck's going on there, and everything's described, um, you know, in in respect of of the drones or or, or the warrior bees protecting the queen, um, and and then you'd have have your general bees. I know that's probably not the right term. <laughs> but their purpose is to um, serve the queen. Um, so, so do you see already how I've, I've and, and that is true, but what I've done there is I've, I've described, you know, in basic terms, the purpose of um, 
of bees and 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 also what they're up to and what they're interested in doing and you could even say of the queen well the queen her purpose is to a have servants but b produce an heir to that mm. to that hive a new queen so mm-hmm. it i'm even i'm and i'm okay with that you know i mean those things are true but when we get down to this level um and what are we talking about here richard are we like what size of particle or subatom? Like what, what are we actually talking about here? Well, I, I would say anything from that uh, very first living organism that's actually moving towards energy and uh, moving away from danger and regulating itself and replicating successfully. And in fact, the reason why the author wrote that book is he said, once an, or- an organism starts doing all of these activities, that's where it's life. Um, mm. So He's actually saying these activities are the parameters in which you finally say, okay, now we're talking about life. Um, so anything from that going up, you, you can talk about ant colonies, beehives, uh, the mm-hmm. plants that uh, Joshua was just saying, uh, moving towards the sunlight. Uh, that's, that's this idea that I'm talking about. It seems to be, I'm not saying that it is intentionality, but uh, the fact that we look at it that way, um, it, it's definitely an activity that leads towards its survival. And so is sure. you know, does that sure okay go ahead so i just wanted to get one more point before i lose it hmm. i didn't, yeah. didn't mean to interrupt you there partner um i would just say just because there's something doesn't mean we have to i mean if we can't see the intentionality there hmm. let's not go ahead and prescribe it okay we don't have to do that right and i i i would i would say um and I know we're not getting into debating our opponent's points as of yet, but I'm going to go ahead and start that. <laughs> uh, this, this is honest. You're being very honest right now. That's right. That's right. I think Travis, by, by simply saying um, in broader terms, mm-hmm. this is the best explanation mm-hmm. by providing, sure. you know, the, the theist concept. Um, and mm-hmm. in cap- that's, I mean, the Christian theist concept. This seems to be the best implementation. It confirms or affirms fine tuning, etc. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I and I'm sure from as as Richard was saying earlier, from you know appreciating both perspectives, mm-hmm. you know I, I can do that myself. Actually, look, it does seem to affirm the concept of fine tuning. Not that I believe in in the concept of fine tuning, um, right. but I'm just I, I can appreciate that. But I'm I'm also uncomfortable with doing that and um that's okay. my three minutes okay okay so did you want me to kind of like respond to some of that or how do we... did did richard want to go into more detail or is, oh, is yeah, he having a turn yeah. or yeah you know i'm gonna go real quick just because yeah. I, I did the introduction um but but i'll just say that uh for me i I think that the fine tuning thing is, is something, you know, it's, it's certainly wild that uh, things do work. It's just that the reason why I I don't become a theist is that there's so many things that don't work. And it looks like in most cases, most things don't work. So then I would say, then it's just a whole bunch of chaos where it doesn't work. And then every so often it does. Um, So that I'm like still amazed by the fine tuning, but not so amazed that I think that there's something guiding it. Uh, but especially here with all these uh, 
simple organisms and, and plants and, and bees and, and wasps and all that. When it does work, that's fantastic. But then when it doesn't work, then, uh, you know, I, I usually use the word amazing when I'm inspired, but then when it's not, doesn't, when I'm not inspired, I'll say it's like mind boggling. It's, it's more, you know, devastating might be too strong a word, but, it, but just, uh, kind of chaotic. So, so like, um, one apologist, uh, Greg Kokel was talking about how ant colonies are just too amazing to not think that, uh, that God is real. But then I'm thinking, what about when the ant colonies attack each other? Or, you know, what about mm -hmm. when they swarm into an ecosystem and destroy it? Um, so it's not, uh, yeah, yeah, sometimes they save it, but sometimes they destroy it. So th there's just a bunch of stuff that doesn't work too. So, so the, the fine tuning thing is, is kind of why, why I went in towards, uh, towards atheism, but, but still here's these, here's these, and we, I guess when you get to ants, you're talking about nervous systems and brains too, but uh, although they're, they're simple, you know, much more simple. Uh, mm. but, but yeah, uh, that's, that's, that's really my take for, uh, I, I can understand fine tuning, but the, but the why it doesn't push me into theism, mm. but, but yeah, from there, Travis, you can, uh, respond to, uh, to mm. either of those. Yeah. So, um, as I'm kind of, uh, listening to both you and James, uh, so one thing that's really important to distinguish is, um, teleology and, you know, uh, James was talking about consciousness and, you know, we want to make sure we don't project, you know, our thoughts of our, our concepts of intentionality onto like lower organisms and everything. And I agree. Uh, but that's not really what teleology is. Teleology is, um, that these organisms are goal oriented and work towards their own good. So it's this concept of lower order goods. It, it's so it's not consciousness or, you know, projection in the same way we would think is that the organisms work towards their own good, like, you know, the good of the organisms. So there's, uh, you know, an aboutness to them working towards their own good. And so an inference, uh, to the best explanation was kind of that, you know, there, there's a higher order good, you know, controlling or, you know, guiding the the processes or, or is behind the process. And with this idea of fine tuning, um, so I'm not claiming it's like deductive proof uh, of theism. What I'm doing is I'm looking at this data, uh, you know, the data of like, you know, the necessary atmospheric conditions, plate tectonics and all these processes we would need to get these chemical reactions and molecules bonding together in the first place. So why this process should even exist at all, why right. it functions uh, in the way that it does, that it, that it, it brings uh, this about. And so I'm looking at, at that data and I'm saying, well, I'm not claiming it's, you know, absolute proof of God. What I'm doing is I'm trying to offer the most simplest unifying explanation of the phenomena. And I think, uh, theism, which is, you know, an intelligence and intentionality that this should happen, offers the most simplest unifying explanation. And that um, one thing I really like about it is that it's going it, to it's not going to have to tack on extra, you know, uh, theoretical content to, to solve isolated problems and everything. And I think if we look at it from a naturalist perspective, a worry I would have is that, you know, we're going to tack on these arbitrary limits uh, to the explanation. So that's kind of my two cents on everything. Okay. Um, James, any thoughts on that? Um, I, I do have a couple. I, I, I was going to suggest Josh add, add some more to that or, or, or well, well, uh, share well, his thoughts first. Um, or, well, or I'm happy to go. So, yeah. uh, 
a couple of things just re responding to something James said earlier to, to clarify uh, that may help kind of lead into this. I, okay. I think it's interesting because we have this kind of question, I, I guess, and, and when we're talking about intentionality and consciousness, are we projecting the fact that it's there and is that the issue? Or is it also at least partly we're projecting some kind of sense of what we think that consciousness must look like in other beings into that, right? So um, you think about some of the work of, of Thomas Nagel talking about like, you don't know what it's like to be a bat, right? What we do when we try to do that is we take our consciousness and try to inject it theoretically into now I have echolocation and I can fly and I like to eat bugs. Right. But that that tells us really nothing about the actual conscious experience and the processing that's going on inside that bat. So on some level, we could say that bat has intentionality to capture that food, to eat that food, to survive. But how exactly that looks when it's processing things and it's doing things is something that's like really hard for us to understand. Um, and and that's a fairly simple example. Uh, one of the things that gets kind of fun with theism uh, on the flip side, and, you know, so I'll kind of come out and just say this, sometimes people try to take how we think and then apply it to God. <laughs> and it's like, okay, if I can't understand the way that a bat actually experiences the world and the way that intentionality functions, how am I supposed to do that with a being that's far beyond my understanding, right? Like, like that gets really interesting and crazy. Um, mm -hmm. So on the one hand, that's kind of just that, that check, I think, for theists in terms of how much are we trying to basically just say with that we can know absolutely for sure versus saying, you know, this is what, what we, we believe we understand. This is what we seem to think uh, an experience of God, both positively and in terms of, well, God's not like this or not like that. So your apophatic and cataphatic theology um, working in concert. Uh, but then to the point at hand, you know, are we projecting intentionality? And is that a problem? Is it specifically the kind of understanding we have of what that intentionality entails um, that that may be possibly the bigger problem? Uh, it's just one of the questions that I have in my mind as I'm starting to think about that question. Okay, uh, James. Uh, yeah, sure. So. Um, I don't want this to be seen as a red herring um, mm. in, in my response, but one of um, so 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 we can talk about or we can propose that this makes sense in the context of the Christian worldview, and I'll just say that mm. simplistically. Sure. For me, a, as a someone who engages in these kinds of conversations. I'm, I'm just, I'm just so uncomfortable with the Christian narrative in its entirety mm. um, to just simply refer to theism philosophically brings up for me, the myriad of, of issues that the entire the corpus of Christianity presents. And I'm so distracted by that um, when when we have these kinds of conversations because it's like you, you, you just I mean and it's it's the same it's the same with, with the Christian view. They're so frustrated and distracted by 
the mm-hmm. the atheist um or you could say that the, whatever that one may describe that to be the <laughs> the, the atheist worldview yeah. and 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 some of their simplistic responses to the christian worldview which i've seen time and time and again mm-hmm. so i'm i'm very distracted by by the bigger debate and like i said i i don't want us to just dive into that and you know because we could yeah. talk for a hundred hours on that um so i i just feel like the theist response is is too simplistic because of the broader conversation and the broader issues and one thing i would also say is that i think people are less accepting of simple simple solutions to things hmm. um because I, I think they can be fairly dismissive it's like it's like we look at this it's like oh okay i mean clearly this is a part of god's god's sovereign plan here um you know i might just reference john piper for a, <laughs> a moment sure. there this is all about um the sovereignty of god and his his, his predestined work in the world and how this um you know the purpose of this is to glorify god for example i mean he might say something like that i'm sure you've heard it oh, um yeah. so so I, i'm just i'm just conscious of of giving a simplistic explanation um i I, th- I think the honest explanation would be to say i don't know but hey let's have a look at what the uh, what the experts say on this hmm. matter um which which would cause me to read further um if mm-hmm. if i was very much interested in it but i I, th- I think the cool thing about being in uh you know i guess a debater or conversationalist in this sphere is that every one of these topics gives you another little notch on the belt you know (laughs) Uh, something to draw from um and i think Mm. i think this is really relevant because it 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 speaks to the you know the broader conversation of 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 consciousness which is which is something everyone's very very interested in Mm -hmm. so that's kind of my, my response there um, so one of the things you mentioned is in talking about simplicity. Uh, and it, it's interesting because like so many of these terms have myriad of, of uh, contexts in which we could use them where it's like, what do you mean? Right. Um, and yeah, one of the things that I, I've run into that I find interesting and, and honestly, the way I'm kind of approaching this conversation is I'm just trying to kind of frame like, what's the best way to explore this even? Right. Because it is kind of one of those hypotheticals that, that's a little bit hard to kind of process. Um, and I've run into this quite a bit where people it's it's like they either like simplicity is like the one goal in their argument or it's like if it's too simple, it can't be true. Um, and one of the things you hear a lot about when we talk about simplicity is Occam's razor. Right. And. I, I maybe I, I want to talk about that just a little bit and just kind of maybe try to establish like how we understand that because I think sometimes people come at it in a really oversimplistic way, which is kind of ironic. <laughs> um, and um, I'm not saying anyone here is doing that, but, but just as we're talking about simplicity, um, often what I hear people say when they're, when they're describing Occam's razors is they just say like the simplest explanation is the best, or they'll even go far so far as to say the simplest explanation has to be true. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm guessing we would probably all agree that that second statement is overstepping <laughs> uh, the bounds right. of like really what, what that's for. Um, um, but even to say it's the best, it's, it's not yeah. that it's the best in the sense of like 
this is now my explanation for everything and I don't need to look at in incoming data, right? It's the best because it's the easiest to then continue to look at and continue to examine and understand and then take incoming data and say, okay, I have a simple explanation. Does this data fit? And then put it, put that in there, modify it a little bit. Maybe the, the explanation's a little more complicated now. That's better, a better way to work. It's a better methodology than I have this really complex thing and now I'm going to put one more thing into it to start with, right? Um, but I think sometimes yeah. people take it from a methodology into this kind of almost metaphysical thing. And I, I don't really understand why they do that. <laughs> um, but does that make sense? Like, like kind of trying to put that in proper context of like when simplicity is helpful and when it's not. Yeah. Um, I actually wanted to make a clarification on like the nature of simplicity and how it's being used in this conversation. Okay. Okay. So what I'm doing is I'm drawing from the philosophy of science and there's been a lot of work. Uh, in fact, I recommend there's a paper called systematizing the theoretical virtues that uh, I really recommend. And um, you'll see uh, a lot of scholars, you know, think of like Oppie, Swinburne, uh, they, you know, we can apply the principles from the philosophy of science to the philosophy of religion and uh, to metaphysics as a whole, like in light of their theoretical virtues. And when we talk about simplicity, you're you're spot on. Simplicity alone is, doesn't cut it. That's why I mentioned these theoretical virtues, because simplicity is sort of uh, kind of like Eric Hernandez would say, a tiebreaker, you know, all things being equal. Uh, yeah. And so simplicity, we're not, we're not going off simplicity alone. We're looking at, does it also have the causal adequacy uh, to bring about the phenomena in need of explanation? Uh, is it internally consistent? Is, is it coherent? Does it go off uh, other warranted beliefs? Does it have uh, the explanatory power, uh, the explanatory depth? Uh, does it unify uh, this explanation with multiple explanations without having to tack on ad hoc theoretical content to solve isolated problems in the theory? So we want to make sure we clarify that we're not going off simplicity alone. We're going off, uh, you know, everything in light of its theoretical virtues. The only way we would uh, apply specifically to simplicity is if we have two competing explanations for a phenomena that are equal in explanatory power, depth, scope, causal adequacy, all, all these different things, then the simplest of the two would would be more favorable. And so that's the only instance in which, you know, we go off simplicity alone. So I just to clarify. Yeah, I, I like that because I feel like it provides a lot of clarity for what 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 you're you are and are not saying and i right. think a lot of times when people present stuff like this it's just you know simplicity ergo i win or that's too simple that doesn't right. work for me you know um so I, I just wanted to clarify and i think that really helps to just kind of put out there what you're saying what you're not saying um so that we can try to to then have more of that constructive kind of back right. and forth conversation and so, and just a real quick, uh, the way this would sort of apply to like metaphysics and the philosophy of religion is uh, you think of theism and uh, metaphysical naturalism as two competing hypotheses to explain the nature and phenomena and reality. And so uh, there's a lot of scholars, you know, that will use these theoretical virtues and like Oppie will argue that it's more favorable for metaphysical naturalism. And then you have, you know, people like Swinburne, uh, even to a certain extent, Rasmussen, uh, that will argue that, no, it's more favorable towards uh, theism. So that's sort of a way we, you can apply it to metaphysics also. Okay. Um, I was, um, I was, I like what you said, uh, Travis, about um, all the different uh, 
you know, rock formations, the, you know, the formation of the planet and the formation of the atmosphere sure. before mm -hmm. you could even get into this stuff. Um, and I, yeah. you know, I like to think of the earth as like a fishbowl. Uh, it's just inside mm -hmm. out, you know, the bottom of our fishbowl is the planet, but then the, our <laughs> water is the atmosphere and it's just, uh, you know, attracted to the rock from gravity, but we're, you know, we're definitely in a fishbowl and, and without that atmosphere, then, then none of this stuff could be happening. Um, so, so yeah, all that is, uh, is compelling in, in terms of, you know, we wouldn't even be having these chemicals and protein shapes, uh, without that uh, fishbowl. Yeah. Um, and, oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, like, when you look at other, like, you know, Venus is, is a fishbowl and, and Saturn is a fishbowl, but just drastically different. Does that uh, make you wonder about the fine tuning or do you think there's a reason for that or or, or how, uh, how do you see that? So here's the thing, because um, the fine tuning is actually it's kind of like the problem of evil. There's a family of arguments within the fine tuning. Um the fine-tuning argument, uh, and in answer to your question, even like with you know the normal fine-tuning, no, that that wouldn't uh, challenge like my conception of it, and we can get into that. But um, I, I look at it as um, you know you have all this cosmic fine-tuning, you know, of you know th these heavy elements that build up, and you know the precision in that, and then you have this local fine-tuning, and you'll notice it keeps going into even the chemical reactions. And then um, the bio biochemical processes that bring about embodied conscious self-aware moral agents. And so I kind of look at the, the fine tuning as being cumulative for the purpose of embodied moral agents uh, like ourselves that can exist on a rocky planet to make morally relevant decisions. And when you look at the nature of like Venus and everything, you'll notice a lot of the you know conditions on Venus are necessary for advanced life here on Earth. And so my inclination for the fine tuning is being geared towards embodied moral agents. Although granted, that's not really the conversation at hand. <laughs> it, we're talking about like these organisms. So, mm -hmm. well, yeah. well, yeah, I, the reason why I brought that up was because I was thinking that maybe um, science and, or uh, well, I should say secular science and, and theism might agree that all these steps had to take place before we could be here, whether sure. whether that's a theistic uh, uh, framework of self-aware moral agents, or whether it's a secular, you know, saying animals that happen to think of this thing morality. Um, yeah. all, we wouldn't even be here, and, and so this idea of some sort of fishbowls existing first that we call planets, um, right. I think that ties into it because that's that's the framework or that's the foundation before you can even have these chemicals that are moving around. Um, would you say that uh, simple organisms that are that start by uh, avoiding danger and moving towards resources and regulating its temperature and replicating, would you say that's one of the first stages or first necessary stages before you could get to uh, self-aware moral agents? Um, I, I think it's part of the process. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, I'm and I don't know if this is kind of where you're going with it, but as far as theism goes, um, I'm sort of a mix between an evolutionary creationist and an old earth creationist. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I, I look at, you know, the, the natural history of life and I, I, I would see it as, you know, God creates uh, through long uh, epochs of time. And, you know, you start with like simple cell or, or you know, we could even start with Luca, uh, the first, you know, mm -hmm. uh, last, you know, last ancestor. universal common ancestor. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so, and, and you know, the person, you know, and then single celled organisms and here, here's uh, actually an interesting phenomena that I think is really interesting. And this can even be seen with like sulfate reducing bacteria that these microorganisms uh, from the early earth, interestingly paved the way for more advanced life in very unique ways. And even had uh, the organisms themselves had an effect on the oxygenation and events Absolutely. and stuff like that. Absolutely. Mm, yeah. Our atmosphere was much different, you know, until certain life forms converted the atmosphere because of their, you know, yeah. you want to say digestion process or, or whatever process that was. Right. Um, uh, James, I want to go back to you because I, th I think we've all talked uh, the longest for a while. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you. All right. So I like the Venus example. I feel like that opens up uh, a few avenues for us to go down there, Richard. <laughs> um, I don't know if any of you are into like long distance hiking. I think um, Richard, perhaps given your background, you you may may have experienced something like that. But I I, I did a two week, um, actually it turned into a ten day hike because I'm amazing. <laughs> a ten day hike. It's um, it's called the Great Southwest Walk, which is um, just south of south of Melbourne, so it's 250 k's, and one one only has to do something like that. Um, for example, I, I I did a 30 kilometer beach stretch one day, and um, I seriously injured my calf muscle, and I had about 10 kilometers to go, um, and <laughs> it was getting dark. So for the remainder of hike, I hiked in the dark and then I had to go inland to this lake. And unfortunately, I had, I had to go right around the lake to get to the campsite. No. Uh, but one only needs to experience something like that to realize that uh, the the world that we know it is is not fine-tuned for me. <laughs> so so I, I would say that. So in, in terms of being a fishbowl, um, yeah. not not like Venus, but but like Earth, um, certainly, certainly not fine-tuned. It might feel fine-tuned now with, with my air conditioner and um, my collection of books, with which I don't display in that. My TV and the kangaroo um, picture I have on the wall over there. But but I, 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 I just I completely dismiss fine-tuning as a, an argument towards there, there being a god. Um, so... That, that's that's kind of where I'm at with with, with that process here. I, I, I really yeah. have much to say. We've we've talked about a lot, so it's, it's difficult to go mm -hmm. into every response. And to be honest, hmm. um, yeah, it's yeah, now four a.m., so I can't remember everything that was discussed. But <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> um, I would just say, like, really briefly on on the fine tuning, because you know, um, we we this this is sort of uh, a common objection you would hear from. Um, certain audiences, uh, you know, with regards to, well, why can't I, you know, hike, you know, up, up higher without injuries and why can't, you know, um, you, you look at, you know, why do these, uh, like think about hurricanes, like in the, the destruction, because, uh, what that would really open the door up to is, you know, what's known as natural evils. I think that would be, um, sort of a, a, a the, the, like a, um, maybe a steel man of, of kind of where you were going with it. But um, 
basically the fine tuning, including the local fine tuning and everything, um, it's being argued that we can exist on a rocky planet to make morally relevant decisions and come to know and love God, you know, love our fellow human beings, you know, stuff like that. It's not really an, an argument that, you know, we should be able to hike the highest mountain or, you know, exist in space, you know, live underwater, you know, all, all these different things, you know, um, so that, that's not really what the argument is trying to entail, if that makes any sense. Yeah, sure. And I, look, I recognize that that my um, my response there was was somewhat of a straw man, um, but I, I no, think straw man's helpful to illustrate a point. So one thing what? I always say is, just because something's fallacious doesn't mean it can't point to somewhat of a valid <laughs> con conclusion. And 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 both both sides both sides use those. Sure. Um, but you just have to choose which which one you would implement. We're, we're um, a forgiving but, but, bunch here. <laughs> What's that? Sorry. So we're a forgiving bunch here. So yeah. we're, we're good with it. Oh, oh, for sure, for sure. Um, look, I, I, I would again say I'm, I'm. We're, I, I recognize we're, we're 50 minutes in, um, but in terms of where I sit with this debate, it, it's something where I need to do more research. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. not, and one of the things I don't want to do um in a juvenile way is is uh, argue for naturalism because it's, it's just not my area of um of expertise I, i'm it isn't so i'm not going to go there i'm not going to say hey i'm an atheist and i'm defending um naturalism here because that's what atheists, yeah because that's what atheists do um but it does intrigue me and, and and it does cause me to reflect um you know philosophically and the and or theologically um yeah. about this debate so uh, uh, about the topic it it's really interesting you know and 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 i think one of the the really interesting things about it is you do go through that process of of prescribing these um prescribing perhaps intentionally and looking for consciousness and i mm -hmm. guess that's what's what's really exciting about a topic like this is observing not only um the scientific data on this, but oh. being mindful of yourself, um, as some mm -hmm. of the things Joshua was was alluding to prior to this debate and and within this conversation. Um, yeah. All right, um, I'm gonna uh, sorry, heaven. Uh, I'm gonna hand it over to Joshua, but I, I just wanted to bring up one thing. I think after Joshua says, or, or and Joshua might even want to start off with this. Um, I'm gonna ask everybody to. Um, like say their story in terms of how this simple celled organisms uh, that just do those basic activities, how it fits into their story, whether it's a mm -hmm. natural story or a theistic story, it's, it seems to be one stage that's important for how we see the world. Um, and then if we list those steps and obviously you don't have to do all of them, but if we list those major themes that can even give us more topics for future discussions. Uh, but sure. but before we start that, unless Josh wants to be the first, uh, I'm just going to pass it off to Joshua and let him uh, say what he wants. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think what's interesting about this debate is is that you find a good example that ties into, you know, a number of different things. So uh, not only is this that question about whether, you know, we're talking about theism or atheism as the best explanation, uh, it also ties into questions about consciousness and into questions about whether or not the the soul exists, what consciousness and mind and brain have to do with each other. Um, so th there are a lot of different kind of moving parts to this. 
Uh, so on the one hand, it's kind of this this like wild out there hypothetical kind of question to throw at something and say, you know, um, not only do we know that these these organisms exist, but then if we continue to um, let's say discover that there's more things that they do that we usually would say correspond to our understanding of consciousness, what does that tell us, right? Uh, so there's a lot there I think to to kind of unpack and. Um, I think one of the ways that, that I would look at this is, is just saying, it seems to me that um, when we're talking about an organism like that, we're talking about a level of consciousness that's very different from our own. So it is hard to understand. Um, we're also talking about, you know, is there a sense of us being unique compared to that? Like, I, I think there is, right? We're able to have conversations like this where those organisms do not. Uh, and then you have the questions around, you know, okay, does this fit within a worldview where you have a progression of of beings that kind of move forward in time and then and get more complex? I think it does, right? Does it fit within a worldview where you have God creating things purposefully? I think it does, right? That's where it gets kind of interesting is, is like, okay, well, big picture, I at least these both are somewhat compatible, but what, what does that actually tell us, right? Um, so I think maybe the one thing I would do um, in maybe setting a like kind of a boundary on on how far this conversation could go if we continued to progress what those simple organisms can do further into the things that we usually think of as consciousness how far does that go before we start to say are we really unique right um and that can can be looked at both from a, a biological perspective and psychological perspective it can also be looked at from a biblical theological perspective uh, and for me um one of the places where that kind of intersects is that question of uh, what does it mean to be made in the image of God, right? Um, and uh, this is where some of that ancient Near Eastern versus <laughs> kind of modern, you know, look at things, I, I think maybe helps to separate those things out a little bit where I don't have to look at something and say, okay, the image of God is self-consciousness or the image of God is conscience or the image of God is creativity or, or some property of human beings that human beings have that sets us apart from animals. Uh, I don't really have to do that biblically because I don't think that's what the Bible is actually talking about. Um, when I read in Genesis and I, and I look at scholarship and I try to understand the terms that are being used there, what I see is that humanity was created with a specific role, function, purpose, identity, right? To represent God in the world, to essentially be children of God in, 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 in a sense. Um, and that those properties that we talk about are things that can enable that. <laughs> in the same way that we might talk about uh, our brain states being something that can enable us to then have these conversations where, you know, if I have a head injury, like it's not too likely that I'm just gonna keep going at the same level, operating in exactly the same way. They're definitely related, my, my consciousness, my ability to, to think and my physical brain, right? Um, those are definitely related, but are they the same thing, right? Um, in this case, when I look at drawing that out to that boundary and saying like, what if those simple organisms can do everything that we do in terms of consciousness? It doesn't bother me because I look at something like the image of God being what makes us unique as something completely different than the properties that we have that we talk about, even though those properties can enable us to fulfill that function or role. Uh, so something to kind of, I guess that adds a lot to that. <laughs> that could be a rabbit trail, but, um, I, I think maybe it helps to kind of draw some of those thing, things out because sometimes we we get into this thing of, of thinking, you know, wow, like, you know, what happens when someone's in a coma? What happens when, you know, when we're talking about 
the unborn? Like, how do we draw some of these distinctions? Are they made in the image of God? Theologically, those are conversations, right? Um, and they're relevant to a conversation like this when we start to talk about what it means to be conscious. Um, so I like that. Um, and and so when you're talking about, uh, and this is to Joshua, uh, yeah. so so when you're talking about the simple cell organisms and stuff and, and, and them doing these activities, that does eventually play a part in, in, uh, in humans and, and, and being in God's image. So it, it's an important part of that. Um, would you say that's, that's sort of your, uh, like if we do this thing where we all take turns uh, talking about how that fits into our story, would you say that what you said is uh, part of your answer or, or would you want to, uh, uh, yeah. be supposed to do that? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that's part of my answer because I'm trying to, to figure out how to frame things in, and to understand the world when we're talking about these organisms and what it would mean if they're able to do certain things, right? So right. the baseline we're talking about, they can do, uh, you know, the, the things you described, but what if they could do this? What if they could do that? What if they could do that, right? Right. What does that mean? What, what, or how does that fit? That's that's part of the frame that, that I bring to it just from, you know, kind of a biblical perspective uh, mm -hmm. as someone that is a Christian. Um, that helps me to frame it in in the story. So um, I think I think it can fit very well, uh, honestly, within both a theistic and an, and an atheistic framework. The question uh, then becomes, you know, can we try to discern which is more likely? Uh, can we try to discern uh, which is is more has more explanatory power? All those kinds of questions. All right, I, I'm, I'm gonna pass it off to Travis. I wanted to bring up one thing that you said, Joshua, that reminded me of something that uh, Cy Gart said. He, he's a, a mm. I guess everybody knows Cy Gart. Uh, apologist, scientist. Um, something he talked about just last week was that at some point these single cells uh, began to behave as if, and here we are, uh, you know, applying, uh, uh, you know, intentionality. But he said these <laughs> cells began to think of themselves as part of a, a different organism. So, like each each of the cells in our body, we have, you know, trillions and trillions. Uh, hold on just a second, my my family's talking. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we have these trillions and trillions of ourselves, but they don't think of themselves as a, as a cell. They think of themselves as the essential part of the human body. Um, and uh, so they're no longer thinking of, uh, hey, I've got to keep replicating. They're thinking, i got to play my part in this thing. I'm going to be a fingernail or I'm going to be the, a blood cell, you know. Um, and so he's saying that thinking of itself as something larger, even though they're not thinking, uh, it could, that could be part of your... Uh, story as well because i i, I call that um, in, in a different conversation i had with uh travis i think travis was in there i i call that like the zealotry wiring which i think that yeah. people have too yeah. um and so you know plants single cells uh can have this thing where they're no longer thinking about themselves or thinking about uh being part of something else even though they're not thinking they're behavior. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sure. I keep stumbling over that language because uh, right. I, I have the same kind of questions about that intentionality that James, you know, was bringing to the table earlier is like, right. at what level are they actually thinking if they're in that situation? I don't know. <laughs> you know, right. yeah. And that, actually, that's what that's what cancer is. Can cancer is when one of your cells who's supposed to be, you know, I'm to be part of the liver says, nope, I'm going to just be my, be my own thing. I'm no longer going to behave mm. as if I'm part of this. I'm going to do my own thing. And if it replicates, and if the rest of the body doesn't kill it, then it becomes a tumor that that thinks of itself as as a yeah. as this collective thing, and it does its own thing until you know until everything dies. Uh, but mm. but that zealotry wiring doesn't have to be good or bad. It's just uh, 
it's definitely a dedication to being part of something larger. Um, mm. And so I think that that could, you know, either get, again, you could be a theist or an atheist and say, yeah, this, this fits into uh, what I'm talking about. But, but I wanted to bring that up because uh, I think that would be the next stage uh, for, for living organisms, not to just be thinking of themselves, but to think of themselves as part of something and, and acting and behaving as if they're part of something larger. Uh, well, and, and you're definitely telling a, kind of more of a meta story too than just focusing on on the 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 focus of this debate too, because uh, you know a lot of your work is around trying to get people to cooperate in the ways that you're talking about. Uh, yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Travis, you want to take it from there, and then we'll go back to James. Yeah, so um, I think it's it's a really interesting uh, topic uh, question, one that you know I totally wasn't prepared for, so you know, forgive me if I stumble over my words a little bit, because I'm just trying to like piece it together. You kind of as we speak and, and go along of, of how it fits and using a, a certain criteria. So I guess this is my take on, on the conversation that um, we have this phenomenon. And um, what we mean with teleology is not that it's conscious and, and thinking of itself, but that it, it's moved towards its own good, the good of the organism, that it, it goes in, in that direction. Um, and so there's like, in that aspect, there's an intentionality and aboutness to it, uh, namely the good of the organism, it, you know, towards its good. Uh, and from that, I think we can argue to the good, uh, which is another name for God. Um, but that, that's sort of a different topic. But um, the way I, I would kind of see this phenomenon, I would, I would look at, you know, the ministry um, I volunteer with reasons to believe and so from that perspective, um, I, I think it, it, it would fit quite well because, you know, we have all this cosmic fine tuning that leads to the local fine tuning. Because, you know, like, even like I was saying, like uh, the variations in the temperature control chemical reactions. Uh, you know, we have the precision that even allows molecules to bond together. Uh, and, you know, of course, the fact that we should even have these processes at all. Um, I, I think is going to be more favorable uh, towards theism. And then um, I see it sort of as a progressive creationist, uh, like RTB would argue for that, you know, you have, you know, you have the origin of life that uh, to me oh, it seems miraculous. Um, and then you'll, you'll see these organisms, you know, develop into more advanced, more advanced until you finally get to uh embodied moral agents who have the intelligence and capacity, you know, to make morally relevant decisions in a moral theater, you'll notice all these processes that go on contribute to uh, morality because, you know, it's only in a world with regular laws occurring in regular ways that we can know the consequences and effects of our moral choices uh, and things of that sort. So uh, I would see it fitting in quite well with theism. And then, you know, I, I think uh, it would offer an inference to the best explanation based on its theoretical virtues as a metaphysical theory too. So. Okay. Um, so then James, if, if you're thinking about these, uh, you know, and you don't even have to have read any of the science or stuff, but, you know, you, you see even now the, these organisms, uh, you know, doing these activities, even without a brain or, or a nervous system, um, how do you think all that fits in? And again, I'm like you, I'm not one of those things that says, you know, naturalism is the answer and we can stop talking about it. But just in terms of how you see the world, uh, would, is that like a stage that leads to us? Is it an important stage? Uh, do you see it differently? Um, yes, certainly. So, I mean, like I, I would say that I, I, I do um, hold to the view of 
of of naturalism. I, but I, I I don't like to argue for naturalism because I do such a bad job on it. Um, one one of the th and speaking from my story, um, I, I I would say that um, one, and I know there's issues with it, etc. But I think having read the origins of the origin of species, um, but by Darwin, that that was incredibly both incredibly boring <laughs> and, and <laughs> incredibly and enlightening to me because um there's so much there that that prompts thoughts in respect of our origin um as as a good i think a good starting point in, in exploring the topic um one of the things that that really blew my mind was uh going to and if you ever get the opportunity to do it if you're in australia go to melbourne museum and look at the collection of skulls that they have they are absolutely profound and they clearly um it's from it's, what's it called from let me just have a look at what it was it is darwin's dna that's uh that's that's the display but it shows you this collection of skulls where where you can see um the development of the sapien species and it's it's just it just boggles the mind um so in terms of where this 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 fits in terms of my perspective and or and i guess the the um the argument i would respect it 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 has to tie in with evolution for me um not not that i'm saying this is it i'm not saying um but i, I i'm also again uncomfortable with the idea of, of putting agency on this um, with, without having some some real hard evidence for that, um, personally, but it's a great conversation. I th I, the whole evolution versus theism, theism debate or naturalism versus the, theism. Theism. I love how they've changed it to naturalism. Um, but but um, yeah, it's 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 going to be ongoing forever. And I think unfortunately, um, and I'm be a little bit more harder in speech here it's unfortunately that will continue because of the devastating effects of religious indoctrination on the world. Um, okay. I'll go uh, real quick and, and say how I think it kind of fits into the story. Um, and then we can decide what to do. We're, we're over an hour. Um, but, but I also think about this, talking about how this fits into our story, it gives us other topics, you know, for, for future discussions. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Uh, Speaking of what we were talking about, Sidegard, about how some at some point the cells began to think of uh, themselves as something larger. Um, and then what James was talking about, about how this was like the first stage uh, before we began to get a little bit more complex. And then like the development of uh, people in terms of the skeletal and the, bi the biology. Um, there's a there's that development in terms of how the organisms are behaving and, and acting, whether they're thinking or not. Um, which brings me to another book that I just yanked out of my shelf called uh, The Social Conquest of Earth by E.O. Wilson, uh, who just recently passed away. Um, but this book, Social Conquest of Earth, talks about how uh, in biology, just over and over again, organisms do that, where they stop behaving and acting uh, as one thing and, and start acting on, on behalf of something else to the point where you get like ant colonies where most of the ants can't reproduce. And if one does inadvertently, reproduce the other ants rush in and kill it you know and the offspring 
because everything's behaving on on the queen everything's behaving and acting on the queen or, or the colony um so i do think that these uh single cells uh you know starting off just uh replicating and, and re regulating temperature and all that that's stage one and then at some point some organisms start working together and and behaving uh, uh for the well-being of other things whether they think that or not and i think that was a stage two like in game theory i think that was a stage two where mm -hmm. things cooperating were out competing selfish things um but then there's a problem with just cooperating just this idea of i'm going to cooperate just because I, I cooperate that doesn't always work either because a selfish organism could go into a uh, village of cooperators and destroy everybody because everybody else is forced to cooperate. But the selfish person is like, well, then you just keep cooperating with me, even though I'm taking everything. That's not your concern. You just cooperate. One selfish organism can wipe out, uh, you know, a whole, uh, you know, community of cooperators because they won't stop him from uh, taking advantage of them, uh, which is why I call the zealotry the, the third stage in game theory, which mm -hmm. is uh, organisms that they will only take care of each other and they see everything else as a threat, or at least they tend to see everything else as a threat. Um, and in that case, an outsider coming in and not cooperating, they'll just get rid of them. Um, mm. and, and not only that, if a, if a member of their own community doesn't cooperate at the level that they see fit, then they get rid of them too. So outsiders and violators get wiped away. And, uh, and, and this way, and this fits into the book that I was just showing, um, in this way, uh, a zealous community can really uh, kick some butt uh, on the evolutionary scale in, in, in the world because they're working together and they also punish their own if they don't do it. So then you're chemically induced over time to be a fierce cooperator or, or a fierce uh, zealot for the cause. And again, this doesn't mean that everything has to be uh, like that, just that I think we have this wiring. And, and I think that's, uh, you know, again, that gets to further and further stages of, uh, of our development. Uh, so, so I do think that this, uh, you know, simple cells uh, behaving and acting in terms of just their own well-being, I do think that's the first stage before that we eventually get into that zealotry wiring, which, which is a whole other discussion. But in terms of my story, I, I think that's uh, the the first stage of those uh, of those three stages I just talked about. May I just uh, add one, just one minute? Yeah, sure. Sure. Um, so I'm I'm sure many of us are across the across it, and it, it's. It's basic theology, but um, you guys heard of Roger E. Olson? I have not. No. Okay. Anyway, he he um, he was revolutionary in the in the evangelical field of of uh, I guess an introduction to theology because he spoke about sources and norms um, for um, utilization in, in Christian thinking, and he considered what sources and and norms for for thinking and theology that the christians could use so he, he came up with the the structure of scripture being the primary i'm going to be real cheeky here the scripture being the the primary source of which christians should um utilize and reference for for thinking and and for argument and to be persuasive um and then he had some secondary sources and those were um tradition reason uh experience and um oh sorry and he added experience now one of the that things sounds, sounds very wesleyan of him yeah sure <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, perhaps he referenced it um but 
one of the things I, I I'm I'm reflective of um, when when I when I think of that actually there's, there's one more um, he added in and it was so there were four it, the secondary sources and it and it was uh, scientific thinking um, but one of the things I'd, I'd just simply like to say is uh, that Olson was was oh so convenient for for Chris, for the Christian worldview and framework in the sense that he he tried to incorporate everything. Um, you know, in, in, in the thinking world and the philosophical world and the science, scientific world. Um, but I just simply like to say in a, um, in a very kind manner that I just think that Christians should just stick to their field um, and that's simply the Bible. So if, if they're going to be arguing for anything, um, that they should only be using that and they shouldn't be, you know, referring to science and going, oh, well, this confirms God. <laughs> I mean, I mean I, what I'm saying is, the development of Christianity has has uh, this so this they're very good at just incorporating anything that suits their agenda, um, and I I think that is dishonest. And um, is can I ask a clarifying is, is not question? Helpful. Sure. Go go uh, ahead, Travis. Yeah. So when you say uh, Christians should stick to their field, so I, I'm thinking you know we have theologians that are theologians. But, uh, you know, we also have this entire field, and I'm not speaking of apologetics as much as the philosophy of religion. I mean, mm -hmm. we have uh, philosophers who specialize in asking these questions. So I, I, I'm wondering, are, are you saying that Christians shouldn't argue for God in other fields? I'm not quite understanding what you mean by that. Um, what I mean by that is I... I I find it real, really dishonest for for someone to say that um, I incorporate the the evolutionary process as a part of my worldview that points to God. I, I it for me, it's it's the the naturalistic worldview and and the Christian worldview are entirely incompatible. Um, so so I, so hold on, let, let me finish. Okay. So. Looking at naturalism and, and and picking and choosing the points that you like out of it, and 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 taking that as as a part of of the Christian narrative, and and, and saying that oh yeah, well it's part of the old earth creation, and it it all kind of works together towards my perspective. I I, I don't like that. Hey, wait, wait, just a second, um, <laughs> as moderator, let me let me jump in. Um, I just realized our next debate between the four of us, and I, and I think it should be me versus James. I think it should be faithiest atheist versus honest atheist, because I have a completely different uh, take that, than what the honest atheist just said. And, and again, I'll, I'll lie and he'll demand evidence, but, uh, <laughs> but, but between the two of us, I think we could have a good discussion. And then Travis and Joshua can be the, the moderators that, uh, uh, that do that. But, but then for Thank this you. particular conversation, I was thinking since we're at uh, an hour and 20 minutes, maybe we can uh, all say how we think this um, uh, and, and, and Joshua, you can go first, um, how we think this uh, simple organisms, uh, you know, either uh, not, not just either, but uh, behaving as if uh, they're avoiding danger, uh, going towards energy, regulating themselves and replicating. We can say how that might be a problem for the other side. Um, if they imagine how it could be a problem for the other side. Um, and, and Joshua, if you want to, you can go first. 
Oh man. Um, <laughs> if I'm honest, uh, there are other things I would love to say first. If, if we have time, I can try to keep it brief. Absolutely. Because James did open up a can of worms. I did. I did. And I just wanted to say, I was, I was going to say, could we just allow Travis to respond? Because I'm sitting here yeah. smirking and he's going, Oh my God. We'll have Joshua go and then Travis go. And, and yeah. in each case, both of you can respond to the two cans of worms that James did. Uh, one is that uh, Christians aren't uh, being intellectually honest when they bring up science and all these other things outside of the Bible. And then the other one is the indoctrination, the religious indoctrination has caused, uh, you know, uh, I guess so much damage that it's not worth any, uh, you know, and this part I'm adding to it, but it, it seems like yeah. James, you were saying that the uh, indoctrination of religion is, is almost uh, uh, unforgivable or, or, no, no, no. What, what I'm what I'm saying is, it's placed the minds of human beings in prisons, which are very difficult to get out, and that's why we have different organisations now okay. uh, working towards um, assisting people to recover from that indoctrination, and that includes uh, that includes the general evangelical indoctrination too. Very helpful. Okay, but, so um, uh, hold on, uh, Joshua. You you go. Uh, just don't forget. Uh, First of all, respond to the James uh, can of worms. Yep. And then at the end, uh, when you wrap it up for you, just say how you think uh, what, what I was talking about earlier might be a problem, if you if you do think it is. And then, sure. Travis, you're going to go after Joshua. Um, well, maybe, I guess, first of all, I'll just say, I, I'm not sure that it presents a problem uh, for, for your side. I think it's more just a question of trying to examine, um, you know, what maybe the, the best explanation is. Um, and obviously, part of the challenge for that is that the best explanation uh is something that on some level can be subjective because it's it's the best explanation to the person that hears it and what their presuppositions are so that, that can be a challenging thing to, to to figure out as well right because we are you know each coming at this with a worldview that's been shaped by our experiences has been shaped by what we've learned um and the story that we feel like we live in and, and to, to try to place things that don't seem to fit in that and then try to make sense of it is a challenging thing for all of us to do it's a you know psychologically hard thing to do uh so I'll, you know, kind of concede. I, I don't think it causes a problem really necessarily for either side. Um, I, I think the pushback I would have with what James said, it's actually really interesting um, because I, I, I'm actually going to to use the way that, that Richard was talking about this um, as, as part of that pushback is I'm not sure that it's the indoctrination of religion specifically or of a specific religion or anything else that's immediately the problem um so much as it is that sense of, of zealotry and indoctrination to begin with uh, because as we look at the history of of humanity there's been a lot of conflict some of it has been related to religion some of it hasn't right some of it has been driven by religion some of it hasn't we do see i think a trend where a lot of it is related to religion over time uh, more so than than to to non-religious or to totally irreligious things, um, in the sense that people have been so religious over time that we've seen that a lot. But when we started to get into the 20th century and we start seeing the impact of philosophy like Nietzsche and nihilism and and really kind of what he saw coming, right? Because I don't want to necessarily say that he's the problem, but what he saw coming was this is where we're on the doorstep of right? We are about to enter 
the bloodiest century. And, you know, he may not have said this in quite these words, but he saw a lot of what happened in, in, in the 19th century or 20th century coming. Um, and we saw multiple world wars. We saw um, all of a sudden this idea of um, being able to use violence and, and the zealotry now becoming very expressly anti-religious in certain cases as well. Um, so I don't think it's fair to just classify that as a religious problem. I think it's it's a it's more complicated than that, and we're talking about maybe two different um, axes on a matrices that that off, you know often will correspond with each other. Um, but it would be something interesting to explore. Um, the other one was uh, whether Christians can use the Bible uh, or other things, um, and I, I guess that depends on what you think Christians are. Um, if we're people that experience the world around us and try to process that data and do that it professionally as a scientist, why not use the science? If we're uh, a person that's studying the Bible, you know, of course, we're going to, you know, be trying to, trying to use the Bible. We're trying to use the means that we have in order to understand the world around us, in order to communicate effectively with people, in order to, in, in our case, commune with God. Uh, and so um, maybe it's too simplistic just to say you can't do that. I do think there is some question to ask in terms of what the utility of each of those approaches is, right? Because when we're talking about trying to prove God who, you know, it's like, can I have direct evidence of, of a God who's non-physical when the way that I see evidence is a physical, you know, looking at physical things like that gets kind of complicated, right? I, I do think we can have those conversations, the epistemology of that. Um, but I, I don't know that I would bifurcate it so much as, as James did. Uh, okay, Travis, you can you can do the same thing. Just uh, that wrap up. You don't have to do the wrap up first or last, and, and then respond to the things James said. Okay, so um, I'll go ahead and uh, do the wrap up first. So I think this brings up uh, actually, you know, because you know we look at the fine tuning and everything, but it also brings up this interesting idea of teleology. Is there a teleology within biological systems? You know, is there uh, you know a good that the organisms are goal directed towards to move towards their own own good and so it seems that we kind of have to use this language of teleology to even describe the process so um I, I and i would of course argue that i think teleology is more plausible uh again not deductively but more plausibly true given uh theism or an intelligence and intentionality behind you know the laws and processes in question um and so, you know, applying the, the theoretical, and this is where I would kind of disagree with Joshua about the subjectivity of it, because mm. in the philosophy of science, that's why, you know, that's a big reason why we use these theoretical virtues. Like, you know, um, so we have this phenomenon and there's two competing hypotheses or theories, you know, which of the two is uh, going to be the most uh, simple that at the same time will unify the uh, points of explanation include other data in, in question. Mm. Can it incorporate it? Does it have the causal adequacy to bring it about? Because um, that's another thing we really need to ask on, on, you know, something like metaphysical naturalism is not just why we have these processes, but um, you know, that call what, you know, would cause it to be geared in, in such a way that it is. So um I, I do think it would be uh, more favorable on theism, but I do want to clarify that my argument is 
purely abductive, not deductive, or even probabilistically inductive. It's abductive. I think it's more plausible given something like uh, theism. Uh, in regards to what James said, I, I was a little taken back at the, uh, uh, something like that. It's not something I'm really used to hearing with like a lot of the people I have discussions with, but um, I would honest. say first, yeah, yeah, it's, it's uh, honest. Uh, you know, everyone's certainly welcome to their, their view. Um, so number one, it, it kind of presupposes that uh, biological evolution is uh, in favor of naturalism. And we didn't really hear any argument as to why it's better explained by naturalism. And then I, I would say that um, there, there's also, you know, within the philosophy of religion, the way, you know, a lot of the top philosophers are, are looking at, you know, things like that is um, you have two competing grand metaphysical theories of ultimate reality, something akin to theism or metaphysical naturalism. And so, you know, they're in dialogue with one another on what's going to better explain. Uh, and you'll even hear like Bayesian formulation. It's kind of taking the the dialect is kind of on Bayesian and, um, you know, like an abductive inference to the best explanation of what, you know, the nature of ultimate reality would be. And so that's a conversation that certainly needs to take place and, you know, is taking place, uh, I think, with slow but genuine progress in the philosophy of religion. And, um, I you know, finally, I would say that, you know, if that's true, we would have to say that, um prominent philosophers of science and philosophers of re religion like Richard Swinburne and, and people like that are, are being dishonest. We would have to say that someone like Francis Collins, who's one of the leading evolution uh, retired, but you know, was one of the leading evolutionary biologists, you know, in the U S uh, you know, that, you know, ran the natural national institutes of health. I mean, I'm that, that certainly, um, uh, uh, drastic length that I'm not willing to say that someone like Richard Swinburne and uh, Francis Collins and people like that are being dishonest. And so that's all I got. Can I respond, Richard? You're muted, Richard. Sorry, sorry, I was on mute. Uh, James, I'm going to turn it over to you to, you to, um, uh, to do your wrap up and to uh, follow up on, on however else you want to follow up to what they just, just said. And then, and then you can just wrap up uh, the the original topic of the show uh, okay um i might not just do such a good job and <laughs> the wrapping up um but look i my, my response is, is is just really simple um i simply say I, I open the can of worms because i i intentionally and i know it was relatively simplistic um but i, I would simply just add to it by by um causing you to maybe think a little bit more about it is that two mutually exclusive claims um uh, sorry you should recognize that when there's two mutually exclusive claims to co-opt co them um for the purpose of the same argument is is not a logical uh way of thinking and i i and in some sense i i would i just wanted to, to challenge challenge you guys and and, and to think honestly about that we, we we have we have the the narrative of, of evolution, which is actually backed scientifically, and then we have the narrative of theism, which is not. And I I think those two things are mutually exclusive, and they are incompa incompatible. Think more of that on that, and ask yourself: Am I actually uh, being honest here in in my my worldview, etc.? And it may and yeah, that's all I'll say on that. But um, I also yeah 
I'm going to wrap up the show. Um, but yeah, I'd just like to thank um, Joshua for being here today. Um, it's been really good to have a conversation with you. Travis, I've, I've actually been, like I said to you in, in chat prior to the conversation, was really looking forward to having a, a debate with, with yourself. And I Thank think it's been good. I think I think me vs you could be a <laughs> really interesting debate. I think uh, we would both come and prep prep to uh, prep to the nines there. And Richard, it's it's been been great to to be on the show with you as well. Thanks thanks for coming on. And to all of our audience, thank you for being here today. Um, your support of the channel is much appreciated. Um, if you'd like to subscribe to our channel and like and share this video on your social media platforms, um, that would do a lot for the channel. And I think at the moment um, we're going to be pushing towards a thousand subscribers. So I think that's probably a bit of a goal, which which all of us would celebrate. So if you could subscribe to our channel and get your friends and family to do that. That would be awesome. And um, yeah, again, thanks for being here. Richard, anything else to add to that? Um, I was just going to add, uh, just as a show note, when we were talking about teleology and biology, um, I for a minute mm -hmm. panicked that uh, one of the new apologists, I say new, uh, newer apologists out there named Seth Hart just wrote an article about uh, teleology and biology for anybody who's right. uh, interested in a, another apologist, uh, uh, you know, scientifically inclined apologist. Uh, and at the very yeah. beginning of the show, I said, um, uh, I, I mentioned a guy named Seth Grant, and for a minute I was like, are there two Seth Grants? But it's Seth Grant that I was talking about at University of Edinburgh that talks about protein shapes and chemicals making these uh, simple uh, organisms uh, behave in certain ways. And then Seth Hart is the apologist slash scientist who has the new uh, article on uh, teleology and bio biology. That's, that was my final show note, uh, Travis, if you want to take it from there. Yeah, I was just going to say uh, real quick to kind of follow up with that um, is that uh, last month uh, around the 1st of January, I actually did a one on one discussion with Seth Hart uh, here on the channel uh, where he, we went over and kind of dialogued about his work. So if anyone wants to check that out, uh, it, you can find it here on the, the videos. And so with that, I think we are going to go ahead and sign off. So to everyone out there, take care until next time. See you guys. Mm -hmm.